Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Merry Christmas. Yeah, we're, we're here already. Uh, if you're joining us in person or online, thank you to you guys for being here. Uh, we begin our new series here at the Foundry where we are all about a better you and a better world called A 2020 Christmas, <laughs> which should be fun, right? <laughs> uh, you can see behind me, there's a Circle Theater has been doing, uh, they're getting ready to do a play, so that's what all this stuff is. Over the next couple of weeks, this, they'll add some stuff, and it'll be cool, I think, uh, and then they'll be doing that in the next couple of weeks. And then, so we figured, with all of this going on, instead of doing the traditional Christmas decoration, we'd just throw up this. It's very uh, 2020 Christmas, like, well, who knows what'll happen so we'll just put this up <laughs> and hope for the best. So what we're going to be doing over the course of this series is going back through the year of 2020 and looking at some of the difficulties we've had and then looking at some of the difficulties of like the Christmas narrative and stuff they would have been going through and then trying to find hope and peace and joy and love in the middle of all the chaos. So what we'll do is we're going to each, each week kind of take like a quarter of the year and go back through some of what we've experienced, which will be fun in theory. Uh, so uh, this, this week, we're going to cover January through March, and I've, I've, I've put together a list of some of the stuff that you've been through, some of the stuff we've experienced together. Uh, some of the stuff just, like, this isn't a, a um, complete list by any means. This is just a few of the things that us, our world, has gone through. Some of it will involve some sort of politic-type stuff. Uh, there, we're not trying to make a statement. It's just, here's what's happened in our world. So whether you love it or hate it, I don't know. It just is what it is, okay? So let's get in to 2020. We started off the year in January 2nd with the Australian wildfires. Do you remember this? Yeah, this is kind of a big deal. Uh, these wildfires set off in Australia. Um, something, it took about three months by the time they were, it is, I'll get to that. Uh, th yes, this is the United States with the outline of Australia over it. So um, it, it burned uh, for about three months or so. It destroyed, uh, they said it killed about three billion uh, killed or uh, displaced about three billion animals. It scorched about 28 million acres of land, which it's easy to go, well, it's way over there, you know, like, that's bad, I get it, oh, whatever, but when you compare it to, like, the map of our country and you see how big it is, if, if all of our country was burning like this, we might be a bit more panicked, right? So, this is how the year started, <laughs> January 2nd. On January 3rd, uh, we had a whole different thing happening. The Iranian commander, uh, Qasim Soleimani, uh, was uh, shot, uh, killed by a U.S. airstrike. Uh, he was a very powerful, very bad dude who would be considered a terrorist by our standards. But when this thing happened, uh, the Iranian government put out a statement that basically said, we as, as America committed an act of terrorism against them. And then so things got a bit dicey for a little while. And like, um, if things went a different way, we could have been moving towards this potential for like a World War III. No big deal. It's just January 3rd. After that, 
uh, we had um, in January 16th, uh, the Trump impeachment trial began, which was kind of a big deal, it served to like cause more division within our country. Uh, the, the impeachment trial itself is kind of a big deal. There's only been three presidents that have ever gone to impeachment trial. There's been a lot that have had accusations, that, but it never really went anywhere. The three men that uh, went to trial were Andrew Johnson in the 1800s, 1860 something, uh, Bill Clinton in the 90s, and then Donald Trump. All three men never uh, fully like carried out. They were all uh, acquitted of the charges, so that was a big deal. January 26th, you had Kobe Bryant uh, and his daughter and some of their family members uh, who went down in, a, in the helicopter crash, killing one of the you know, great basketball players of, of all time and his family, which is just tragedy. Uh, January 30th, you had the World Health Organization who declared a public emergency due to the outbreak of this virus from Wuhan, China. That's when it first got, like, started going. January 31st, uh, you had Brexit, where the UK separated from the European Union, which was a big deal. So this is just January. Few things happening in our world, mixing things up, few unknowns. Uh, you get into February. February 5th, Trump was acquitted. Uh, February 7th, uh, Australia had crazy floods. So not only did they have um, terrible fires, they had crazy floods. The floods uh, and, and the rain served to put out like a third of the fires, but you still had two-thirds of the country on fire. And not only that, now you have the flood damages that come along with it, which caused all kinds of havoc. Uh, February 11th, the World Health Organization finally names this disease coming out of Wuhan. They call it COVID-19. We officially are introduced to this name. We got the vid on the, 20, on the 11th. February 24th, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty, which is a good thing, right? But also like the fact that that stuff was happening that he had to be tried for and found guilty of it's kind of a bad thing, it's a really bad thing. Uh, February 27th, due to the COVID outbreak, you had this crash in the stock market for the longest crash, week-long crash since 2008. Still in February. Um, in March 9th, Italy became one of the first countries to go into full lockdown because of COVID. March 11th, COVID was officially declared a pandemic. It's believed by this time there's about 800 people, 800,000 people worldwide that uh, were being affected by the virus. March 13th, you have 26-year-old medical worker, Brianna Taylor, who was uh, shot in her home over what's considered to be a botched drug raid, which then sparked um, you know, political, social uh, justice issues in our country. It was also around this time that you had our, the Florida schools shut down, uh, and so all the kids that were on spring break stayed home, and then this is where things got really bad. Because the other stuff was a lot, but you know, when the kids are at home for a week straight, that's when stress levels really go through the roof. Uh, it was also around this time that our friends at Netflix introduced us uh, to our new friend, the Tiger King. I'll allow you to decide if this is good or bad. So this is January through March. This is just the first quarter of the year. Like, are we depressed? I, I had bouts of depression this week, looking at all the stuff, just going, oh my gosh. And there's still a lot more to come. That's just March. Like, what? anybody else just want to, like, climb into a closet and cry for a while and just hope that the year moves on, that you could fast forward somebody? Like, what are you supposed to do with all this stuff? How do we carry all this weight? Is it possible for us to recover? Do we just give up, throw in the towel? 
everything seems to be falling apart and there's not much that we can do about it. That's why I love this picture, by the way, of 2020 Christmas. <laughs> the whole thing's just on fire. It's all just going up. What are we supposed to do with this? Now, I've personally found a bit of lightness in the heaviness of this stuff with people's creative abilities to describe the year 2020 through the meme form. So there's these, all these memes out there called If 2020. Maybe you'll appreciate these. Maybe this will help bring some lightness. And we just go, okay, yeah, we're in the middle of some stuff. Not much we can do about a lot of it, but we're alive and we have a breath and we have family and we're going we're gonna to put our hope and trust in Jesus and all this stuff in this time. So here's a few that might make you smile a little bit. So if 2020 was a boat... This one's called the no worries. <laughs> uh, if 2020 was a car, I, I don't know what's happening exactly here. Uh, is it going sideways or forwards? The grill is here, but the doors are here, but the tires are here. That's a pretty fun one. What's the next one? If 2020 was a slide, <laughs> maybe you can relate. Maybe you feel this one. Like, yeah, bad news all around. Uh, if 2020 was a hula hoop, <laughs> Just get it going. If 2020 was a pinata. <laughs> Come on, kids. Come on, Billy. It's time to hit the pinata. Yay. Candy. No. Needless to say, it's been a bit of a rough patch. We've, we've hit a bit of a rough streak. Things have been a bit tough. Now, when it comes to the story in the life of Jesus, what you have to realize is that in order to understand the weight and the significance of the Christmas story is that we have to understand that the people of Israel were going through a bit of a rough patch as well. We talked about some of this stuff during the Better Way series, but the story of the New Testament opens when a time... Uh, that things aren't going the way that people expected them to go, if, if you're the Jewish people. The, these are the people who are the descendants of Abraham, who God has made all these promises. You will be a great nation. You will have your own land. I will be with you through all of this. God calls these people, claims these people as his own chosen people, and yet nothing up to this point has really worked out the way that they had planned and hoped that it would. God promised to give them all these things, and yet they find themselves, over the, over the course of their history, they've been taken captive by the Egyptians, they've been taken captive by the Babylonians, by the Persians, by the Greeks, and now at this time in the story, by the Romans. So they're in their own land, but they find themselves under this heavy oppression from a foreign oppressor from the Roman Empire. It was in 63 BC that you had a guy, a Roman general by the name of Pompey, who came in and sieged Jerusalem. And Pompey was a brutal, brutal fellow. In fact, he earned the nickname at a young age of the teenage butcher. As a teenager, he earned his name. He was so brutal, he got the nickname the Teenage Butcher. So he's the one that comes in and takes Jerusalem for the Romans. And then over the course from that 63 years up until the time of Jesus, and this isn't including anything after the time of Jesus, just up to that point, he's already like killed thousands of Jews, imprisoned them, uh, uh, murdered them, executed them, uh, put them on crosses, hung them on crosses. He, thousands of Jews were, were killed by the sword. Thousands of Jews were sold into slavery. We also know at this time that aside from the Roman oppression, they have this, the, the, this high, high, high taxation rate. Some people say 80, 90% taxation rate. So people are struggling to make ends meet, struggling to feed their families, struggling 
to keep their own lands, lands that have been passed down for them through the promises of God from generation to generation to generation are now being taken from, taken from them. They're struggling to find work. They're struggling. So you've got the people of God, and you've got these promises of God. You've got these people who are going, well, how come all of this? And then on top of that, you have these promises within the promises that talk about how eventually God would send another person that would be like Moses. What did Moses do? He set the people free. Moses came and rescued the people and set them free. And here they are going through this dark time with all these promises of what should be that isn't, with these promises of what will be but hasn't. It's a bit of a dark time for, for, for Israel, for the Jewish people. Things aren't going according to plan. This year isn't what they had hoped it would be. They're still looking for somebody to come and rescue them. Right? This is the setting for the opening of the Christmas story. They've hit this like 63-year rough patch. Or if you back up to like Egypt, you're looking at like this 1,500, 1,700-year rough patch where things haven't gone as they should. So Luke steps into this story, into that setting, into that context, and he begins to tell a story about an angel who visits a young girl and gives this young girl some promises. Take a look at this, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to, a Naz uh, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So into the middle of this 63, 1,500-year rough patch, this angel shows up to this teenage girl and gives these promises. There's five promises that are in here. He says, one, he will be great. Two, he will be called the son of the most high. This, this phrase alone would have caught a lot of people's attention because the phrase son, right, in, in the Jewish mind has to do with like a carbon copy of the father. So the, the carbon copy of the most high is going to come to you. And the phrase the son of has to do with the attributes that they would maintain and replicate the attributes of the father. So when he says the son of the most high, this would have turned some light bulbs on in the mind of the people that this is somebody special. This is one who is like divine in nature. This is one who might even be like have some sort of equality with God. This is a big deal. Then he says, the third thing, he will be given the throne of his father David, right? He will have this lineage of the people of the promises of God. So he's connecting to this lineage and the promises that they had. He says he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. He will reign over Israel as her king. Uh, and then the fifth one, his kingdom will never end, which this, this is really a reference to a promise that God gave to David. I want to show this to you, Second Samuel chapter 7. This is God talking to David about what will happen kind of like immediate but also not immediate, the things that will happen that we're talking about now. Second Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up 
your offspring to succeed you, to secede you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So yes, he's talking to David. Yes, he's talking about Solomon. But yes, he's also talking about the thing that would eventually come, this other, this other hope in the middle of everything. So these promises from the angel, they would have been waking people up, cluing people into this idea that this baby that Mary's getting ready to have, is going to have, would in fact be the one that they've been waiting for for quite some time, the promised Messiah, the one who would be like Moses, the one who would set them free, the one who would restore and redeem their people. So in the middle of their story, when it might feel like all hope is lost, when it might feel like, how are we going to make it through this? When it might feel like a 2020 kind of year, but like for years and years and years, this angel shows up and like taps us on the shoulder and gives this message. It's like, don't, don't give up. There's going to be light in this darkness. That there's hope just around the corner. It's on its way. So God tells Mary, you're going to have this son. It's going to be the son of the Most High. And this son of the Most High will establish this kingdom, this kingdom that will last forever. And the next question then, of course, is, well, what is that kingdom going to be like? Because if it's going to be forever, that should be important. And what is it that the people, the Jewish people at this time, how do they understand and feel about kingdoms? Well, their experience with kingdoms thus far has been not so good. I mean, maybe you had a moment with Solomon, but even that didn't end up well. But other than that, they've been pretty much under the boot and the authority of somebody else, somebody that's been persecuting them, somebody that's been raising taxes, somebody that's been enslaving them, somebody that's been... So this kingdom language might be a, a bit heavy for them. Into this story, this same story, Matthew comes along and he gives us another clue as to the nature and the mission of Mary's child and gives us a glimpse into what this kingdom that the angel has promised might be like. Okay, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. This should be familiar as well. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, we read this, we go, yeah, that's how the story goes, we understand it, we get it. But if you put yourself in the position of the people at this time, this verse might be a little confusing and maybe even a little tricky. Look at verse 21 again closely, okay? What does it say? She will give birth, you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save people, save his people from their sins. Well, wait a second. The Savior is supposed to save us from them. He, he's supposed to save us from the Romans. He's supposed to set us free from the Egyptians. Why is he talking about save us from our sins? They're the ones, the Romans are the ones committing the sins against God's people. We're God's people. We're the chosen one. So why would you say that Mary's son, the son of the Most High, is going to save us from our sins rather than the sins of our oppressors? Maybe this is why some Jewish people wanted him to die. 
because he's supposed to be on their side, and yet it seems like he's maybe not as much as we would have hoped. It'd be like, it'd be like if, if you saw an, an elephant standing on the tail of a mouse, and you went to the mouse, and you said, hey, have you stood on anybody else's tail today? And the mouse would be like, uh, can you just please move the elephant? Aren't you here to rescue me? Aren't you here to move the elephant for me? Like, set me free first. And you're like, no, but yeah, but we got to deal with you first. Right? The, the, the Jewish people, the mouse, are expecting the Savior to come and deal with the elephant, the Romans. Set them free. Set them free. And the Savior shows up and he says, yeah, but we need to deal with you first. For the mouse, for the people... The Roman oppression, the elephant of the Roman oppression, was like the primary thing that they believe they need to be rescued from. But God shows up and he says, this Roman oppression thing that you're super worried about, it's, it's kind of secondary. Yes, it's important. Yes, it's important. But it's secondary to the bigger thing that he's doing. Okay, watch this. Luke chapter 13. Luke gives us another story in Luke chapter 13 that kind of clues us into this general thought process. They're worried about dealing with the elephant, and God's like, let's deal with you first. Let's deal with the mouse first. So this is uh, Luke 13. Uh, now, there were some, uh, some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now, let's pause there for a second. Do you realize what this is saying? There were some there that told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. So what happened is that some, people, some of the Galileans went to their temple. They went to offer sacrifices to God. They went to worship God. They went to their house of worship to offer sacrifices. And in the middle of their time of worship, the Romans show up and start slaughtering them so that their blood mixed with the blood of the sacrifices. Right? This would be like... If somebody walked into a church and started shooting people, which we've seen, what do you want to happen in those moments? You want the person that did that to be dealt with, right? But what does Jesus say? If you look at this passage, what does he say? He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? So... They're, they're telling Jesus a story because they want Jesus to go deal with all these external things, all the problems that Rome is bringing to them. And Jesus says, well, actually, let's talk about something else for a second. He, he says, let's deal with, with something else. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners because they suffered this way? So rather than addressing the act of the Romans, who is persecuting his people, he addresses this thought, this misconception of how the people understand how they interact when relate with God. The idea at the time was that if something bad, if some sort of calamity, if some sort of negative thing happens to me, it's because I am not right with God and God is therefore punishing me, right? If you remember the story of Job, what happens? All these bad things happen to Job and what do his friends tell him? Well, what did you do? What did you do to angry God? What did you do to make God angry so that he's doing this to you? Job's like, that's not what's happening, so Jesus, he says, he goes, do you think that they were the worst sinners? Rather than addressing the Romans, he addresses their thoughts about how they understand God. Verse 3, I tell you, uh, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too, uh, you too will all perish. So no, this didn't happen because the Galileans were worse sinners, because that's not how God works. He turns the conversation 
and he makes it about the people. He makes it about them. He continues, or those 18 who died in the Tower of Siloam fell, uh, in the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all others living in Jerusalem? Now, this, this is really interesting. So he says, the people murdered by the Romans, it wasn't because of their sin. And then the people that died over this freak accident of a tower falling on the people, this wasn't because of their sin either. Verse 5, I tell you, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. So in this world where things haven't gone according to plan and the people are looking for answers, in this world where the people feel like they've been left uh, high and dry, in a world where people are longing to be set free, it's almost like Jesus is saying, yeah, but I think, I think you're kind of missing the point in all of this. The freedom that you're looking for, the freedom that you're looking for has little to do with the external world around you, with the difficulties that you find yourself facing. The freedom that you're looking for has little to do with the external and everything to do with what's going on within you. And remember, this word repent, this word repent isn't condemnation. This word repent is an invitation. It's an invitation to come home, to return, to come back to God's intended reality for your life. You're worried about all this stuff, but you need to come home to how I designed you to live. If you go back to Luke chapter 1, you have Elizabeth and Zechariah. They're expecting the birth of a child. This is a big deal. Elizabeth has the son. He goes by the name of John. He eventually becomes a baptizer of people. Um, after they have the kid, Zechariah breaks into a song. And there's something interesting about the song that Zechariah that sings or says because um, it's kind of like in two parts. There's kind of like it addresses two different sections or two different ways of thinking. Okay, watch what it says first. Uh, Zechariah, uh, sorry, Luke um, here we go, Luke chapter 1, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his, pro uh, through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us. So what this is about, this is about saying, well, the Savior is coming to rescue us from them. The Savior has come to redeem the mouse from the elephant. But that passage continues. What's it say? Verse 76, and you, my child, this is Zechariah speaking of Joseph, will be called a prophet of the Most High. So the son of Mary is the son of the Most High. Uh, John becomes the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. You see, so Israel's been living with this perspective that their biggest problem, their biggest issues that they're facing is the enemy, those who hate us, the ones causing the problems for us. But what they fail to realize is that the Savior that they're actually looking for is coming to do more than just rescue them from that, right? Zechariah says the Savior will save us from the external stuff, yes, but also he will save us from ourselves. Now, if you go all the way back to the book of wisdom, to Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon writes this book, the great teacher writes this book. There's this really interesting verse, a couple of verses, 
where it almost speaks to this same thought and idea, okay? So take a look at this. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 1. Again, I looked and I saw all the opposition that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed, and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors, and they have no comforter. So everybody was cold. He's he's looking at this oppression that's taking place in front of him. And what he realizes is that whether you're on the side of the oppressed or the side of the oppressors, that it has the ability for both sides to be like in their own little prison. That whether you're on one side or the other, um, you're both in need of, of help. You're both in need of rescue. Yes, the mouse needs rescue needs to be rescued from the elephant, but the mouse also needs to be rescued from itself, and the elephant needs to be rescued from itself as well. They both need rescued. You see, the beauty and the power of the Savior is that the beauty and the power of the Savior is that the salvation that he offers isn't limited to one person or to one group of people. The beauty and the power of the Savior, a true Savior, the true Savior, is that He's the Savior of all, the oppressed and the oppressor, the mouse and the elephant, the Romans and the Jews. The one who came to save didn't come to save one side or the other. He came to save everyone. You see, so when, when you consider the difficulties that Israel's facing or has faced in the past and the difficulties that they're facing leading up to the time of Jesus, things aren't going according to plan. It feels like our world is falling apart and they believe, they, they, they want what they believe they need is someone to overthrow the Roman government so that they can be their own people and, and then all of our problems will go away and if someone can just deal with the externals, then everything will be fine. So into that thought process and into that story, an angel shows up to a teenage girl and says, hey, you're going to have a baby, and this baby is going to be the son of the Most High who will have the throne of David, who will rule over Israel forever, whose kingdom will be established forever, which seems super hopeful if you're the mouse being worried about the elephant. But then he shows up to this other kid, this boy, this man, Joseph, and he says, Mary's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, and he will save God's people from their sins it seems a bit less, less hopeful because in their minds, they need to be rescued from the great evil of Rome rather than from themselves. But here's the thing. When the angel says he will save his people from their sins, this actually, this isn't an exclusionary passage, which is what makes it so incredible. And in fact, this is where the bigger hope in all of this is found. Okay, here's what I mean. If you go back to Exodus 19, God has rescued his people from slavery in Egypt. They've been through this before. God rescues them. Exodus 19, they come out to the desert. They come out to Mount Sinai to meet God in the desert. God shows up to meet them in the desert. And then he gives them this message. We've talked about this before, but this to me is incredible. Exodus 19, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. 
Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? And what does the priest do? The priest puts the divine on display. You want to know what the God that a priest serves is like, you watch how the priest lives and moves and breathes in this world. You watch how the priest interacts with this God, and then you will know what the God that he serves is like. He says, everything is mine, but you will be for me a kingdom of priests. The kingdom of priests is to show the world what the God they serve is like. So God says to this nation of people, it is through you that I will reveal who I am. So when this baby shows up and the angel says he's going to save them from their sins, it's not just about them because they are the example of how God is, what God is going to do for everyone. You see, his desire for them to be saved speaks to his desire for all to be saved. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy a couple times. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he says, This is good and pleases God our Savior. God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Who wants all people to be saved. He goes on in verse, uh, chapter 4. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That deserves full acceptance. This is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God who is the Savior of all people and especially of those who believe. You see, what he did by saving them, he did for all. He, Paul says the reason we work so hard to tell people about Jesus is because we have this hope in this living God who is the Savior of all people. And so in the middle of this chaos, the hurt, the pain, the broken dreams, the crying out, God, where are you? Won't somebody rescue from all, uh, us from all of this? All of this that's happening in the first century. God hears the cry, he, and he sends his angels to tell this girl hope is coming. He tells, sends his angel to tell this boy that this kingdom that will be established through your child will last forever. And it's a kingdom that invites everyone to be a part of it and provides a way for everyone to come into it. So in the middle of the uncertainty and the unease of the first century, God doesn't say, hey, I'm going to take away all the problems that you're dealing with. I'm going to remove the Romans immediately. He doesn't say, I'm going to fix each and everything. God says, whether you see it or not, I'm doing something much bigger and greater than you can see. I'm doing something that will actually allow me to redeem and restore and reclaim all of it. Something that will allow me to redeem and restore and reclaim all of you, the mouse, the elephant, and every animal in between, right? They're worried about all these things around them, in front of them. They're worried about the externals of their life, and God, shows, God says to them, I got you. I feel it. I understand it hurts. That's why I've done, I'm doing something about it. I've done something about it. You're worried about the externals. 
and I'm going to take care of that which is eternal. So for us, as we look over our shoulder at the year 2020 and we're wrestling through all these difficulties, maybe you want God to come and show up and just fix everything that's broken. I get it. I feel you. I, 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 I'm with you. I stand with you in the middle of all of it. But our hope in the middle of this chaos, our hope that is found in Christmas is so much bigger than simply removing the difficulties of this year. Our hope in the beauty of this Christmas story is that regardless of what's happening in the externals of the year and our lives around us, that the birth of this child has paved a way and provided an opportunity for us to be confident and secure in that which will last forever. That what Jesus came to do for them, he came to do for all. And so if you put your hope in the things of this world, if you put your hope in like the state of our union, and you go through a year like 2020, then of course frustration, of course depression, anxiety, fear, of course it seems like the world is falling. But if I understand that the one who has come is the son of the Most High, the one who will sit on the throne of David, the one who, rule, who will rule over Israel forever, the one whose kingdom will last forever, and it's the kind of kingdom that everyone is invited into, and there's a way in which all can come into it, then no matter how big the elephant that's standing on your tail right now, no matter how bad the externals are, we can put our trust and our hope in the only king that has ever secured that which is eternal. And this is the beauty and the hope that we find in the Christmas story that even in the middle of a 2020 Christmas, we still have hope. You know, one of the incredible things that we get to do each and every week, each and every Sunday, is that we get to participate in a meal. But it's not just any meal, it's this like really important, special, sacred, holy meal. We get to participate by taking this little bread and this little juice that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, that which was given on our behalf we get to take this time to remember that this baby that we speak of in the Christmas story grew up. He grew up and he did the thing that God said he would do, that he came to save his people from their sins, and by doing so, saved all of us from all our sins. This baby who grew up to do the thing that God said he would do. This baby who grew up, who taught us how to live. This baby who grew up to bring hope, to bring light into the darkness. We celebrate, we remember all these things. And so what's fascinating to me is in light of our story for today, that this angel comes to this young girl and this young boy and we get this whispers of the hope that would be. When we come to a moment like this in our service and we celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus, that which has been given to us, what we're celebrating in this moment is their hope that has become our hope 
that has now become actualized. That it's no longer just one day it will be, it's already come and it is here. So as we partake in this meal, we celebrate hope actualized. We celebrate hope that has become our reality. We celebrate that the things that were promised have now been fulfilled and the kingdom that was promised to last forever has already been started and you get to be a part of it. So we're going to have our people pass the trays. It's got the bread and the juice. Please put your mask on as they pass. You can take them off as they go by. We ask that you take this time to remember remember all that Jesus suffered to remember all that Jesus revealed to us that through the cross he suffered and died but through the cross he revealed to us the depth and the love of the father will you pray with me